and welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with fellow fellow patron and guest, uh, Braden. Welcome. Hello. Welcome My name's Braden. <laughs> yeah, back after a, a severe hiatus. Uh, came on for the first time as a CEDH player. Now come back on as a modern player. Pretty big transition. It was. It's the real evolution. You've become a, a modern player. Ben has become a commander player. The world dreams yeah. of crossed. We're in the middle of Baldur's Gate commander preview season. There's, uh, you know, conversations back and forth. We've talked all about partner last week and the future of this magic in general with New Phyrexia possibly on the horizon. Um, but we're 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 uh, you know going to talk modern today because this is the Masters of Modern podcast. We're talking about modern and modern related things often. Um, and as you said, you've been playing a lot of modern over the last year and 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 kind of want to, you know, it's been about two, two to three weeks since New Capenna came out. There's a lot of new cards from that set. And uh, we are going to, uh, you know, go over what the metagame is looking at right now. Uh, what are the top decks? What are the decks you need to be worried about? As well as uh, if there's any new cards that are, are kind of popping up on lists uh, in the meantime. Uh, but, uh, Brayden, really quick, what, what, where, where, where do you come from? Who are you on the internet? And uh, uh, what, what, what do you want to talk about today? Sweet. Uh, so I am Brayden MTG on Twitter. That is like where I uh, do the most things, I suppose. I uh, happen to work for Star City Games. I do pricing on Magic cards there, but. Uh, most of the time, I just complain about things on Twitter. Uh, I used to make CDH content a few years ago, but uh, I am retired from that. Now I just play Modern and go to as many Magic events as possible. Yeah, I mean, in reality, I, we just like released earlier, or I, I like refound and posted on TikTok uh, uh, from that video. But you were the person who got Ben basically into Commander and me into CDH along with Jim uh, from the Spike Feeders. And there's a great video out there of like us breaking down like a intuition pile an intuition pile um that has a great ending uh it was bad for me uh, <laughs> um but i was uh, so proud of the cold shot too <laughs> that's the best part <laughs> i uh r.i.p my life uh but yeah it was it was a really good um like intro to the format for him and like it got it, it got a modern player who like for 10 years i've been like no no no. there's a way to play commander that you will have fun in. and he's like no there's no way it can happen i was like okay let's let's and cdh was the, the entree point into it and, and part of that is that like i think a lot of modern players or a lot of magic players that aren't commander players are resistant to the like fate isn't on my side and people will make decisions arbitrarily in commander because it's casual like the stakes aren't correctly high enough and yeah. you're dealing on top of that you're dealing with three different people that have different incentives and at least with cdh you remove one of those two problems you you remove the like every person is going to make the decisions to the base of their ability and even communicate with the pod to get information on what is the best chance of me winning versus yeah. You know, in Commander, where someone will be like, oh, you know, you wrecked me earlier, I'll wreck you in revenge. It's like, well, does that help you win? Or are you just doing that out of spite? And that doesn't exist as much in CDH or or classically doesn't unless you have a player that's salty that happens in six, you know, same, same things in 60 cards where someone will make a mistake due to emotional reasons. But that's yeah, competitive gaming. <laughs> I saw someone tweet today something like to play CDH, 90% of what you need is like the amount of... uh sportsmanship required to play high school sports and yep. that's that, that feels about right like just 
everyone needs to have like a mutual respect for each other and understand everyone's kind of trying to play to win. Yeah. And uh, once yeah. everyone's on the same page in that, de- in that like uh, degree or angle, uh, a lot of problems go away. Yeah. Right. Right. And that, and that, I think that's like one of the great, and then, and then now Ben doesn't even necessarily like CDH. He plays regular commander at more. I think from him, it was a perspective of like, I wanted to create things and in CDH, he felt he was not enough of an expert to be able to craft decks specifically for that way of playing, which is fine. But you know, that was his entree into it. And he like was able to learn like, okay, this is how you play. This is how you do it. And, and, and has played probably more commander than uh, even modern this last year. So partially because of the stream, but moving on to this, since then you've gotten really into modern and, and before we get into what the modern metagame looks like a uh, really quick shout out to sponsors. First off, thank you so much. Uh, Channel fireball. If you're looking to buy cards, uh, there's a link below. You can use our affiliate code uh, on the link or just use the MMCast at checkout uh, and it helps the podcast out a great, great deal. Um, and if you want, you can see the video posted there every week. If you're uh, a, an audio only listener, that's another place other than the YouTube channel. You can find us. Uh, if you are also big shout out to ultra pro and uh, we're going to let them get the ultra pro sponsored trivia and Braden, I'm going to ask you a question and this is how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to have to think about it. You're going to go back and forth and then you're going to answer. In the meantime, our listeners are also going to comment their answer. Uh, and if they get it right, I'll like it as either the podcast or my own personal YouTube channel. If they get it wrong though, they have to like, and subscribe to the podcast. That's the rules. I don't make them up. You've uh, by listening to this, you've all, all entered into an obligatory contract. If you don't do the rules, then you you'll be seeing a cease and desist letter. I don't even know. <laughs> the lawyers are, are coming. Yep, yep. I, we have we have so many magic lawyers. Just rules lawyering. All right. In magic, <laughs> creatures generally have a power and a toughness. If you were to add all of the toughnesses in magic and all of the powers in magic together. Which would be larger? Now, just uh, X spells count as zero. Uh, uh, there's an infinity elemental and an unset. None of that. <laughs> uh, this is really stressful because I get this question almost always right whenever I watch the show. So this is real tough. Yeah. I have my answer. I'm, I'm locked in. All right. All right. You're locked in. All right, I want to hear your reasoning. Uh, bonus points if you can uh, give a percentage of what the difference you think is between the two. All right, all right, let's let's uh, let's let's hear it. All right, uh, I think in general uh, there's like two frictions, like two things going back and forth here. Mm-hmm. Uh, toughness is really bad for like limited. I feel like maybe I'm crazy here, but like if the whole format is like X, let's say they're like two threes the whole format things get really grindy and weird but also in early magic there's like a million walls so i think there, that's like some of the the push and pull here uh there's also like some weird stuff like you know the 13 zeros or whatever uh there's a lot of two ones out there but there's also a lot of one threes uh so i'm gonna go with toughness and okay. i think it's probably very close like 10 percent. that that'll be my that's that's my guess so yeah, so there's there like walls are a big one, right? There's also a lot of two ones though. That was kind of the one for me is like two ones and three ones. Uh, I agree. Like I think there are way more two ones than one twos. I think there are probably equal one threes versus three ones, and then like two fours versus four twos are probably pretty close. But then when you get bigger, you end up in like the four five world where I think there's a, I don't know four fives versus five four. I think like yeah, it, it, it's six sevens like in limited especially. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, like there's also a lot of six fours. And... Like six fours are really popular. I feel like yeah, uh, combo. 
like four minute two fives. You know what I mean? The, like, uh, like I remember there being a couple of these like in Concentrate here, but I think that set environment specifically wanted them for Outlast or something. Yeah. So, so sure. uh, for and this 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 uh, I asked this question on on uh, Twitter a while ago when. And uh, the the poll was power had 29% of the vote, toughness had 65%, and then results had 6%. Uh, but magic data science at MTG underscore DS uh, gave the information for the answer. And it is for every unique card, there is 33,750 uh, powers, total power in magic. And there is 36,258 toughness. So... For the unique cards individually, there is more toughness. If you include every reprint, uh, it's 84,861 versus 91,695. And uh, so that ends up about a 7% more toughness in Magic. Hey. So, so really you, were, you were really close. That was good. Uh, so if you if you commented toughness was bigger, good job. If you tough did the guy, if you got 7% double good job. Uh, if not, you gotta hit that like and subscribe button. And, and if you got it right, just please hit the like and subscribe button. Anyways, uh, all right. So in modern, let's just let's just talk down top ten decks in the last fourteen days, starting at the bottom. So number ten, uh, Affinity is back. Now I think this is just off of Affinity is always good. Now obviously there's a lot of Modern Horizons cards with the fact that you have Esper Sentinel, Urza. Insane. just hanging out but i think like you know shadow spear and portable hole are both like really big game in these kinds of decks right especially right. with urza saga like urza saga uh, did not find portal hole though right I, what i'm thinking with shadow spear like the fact that you can find shadow spear give your tokens uh trample and lifelink that's like pretty big yeah uh and portable hole just being like a little spell that like leaves an artifact in play is pretty massive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I think that's interesting about this deck is it, it feels totally different than previous Affinity. Like, I almost wouldn't call this Affinity. I would call it, like, Blue-White Urza, almost, just from mm-hmm. a perspective that, like, other than Memnite, it's not playing It's not playing Cranial Plating. Uh, does it even have Memnites? Or it doesn't even have, like, a... Yeah, there's no there's no modern cards. Yeah, there's four Memnites. Not Memnite. Uh, sorry, Ink Moth. There's no Ink Moth. Ink or, or, there's yeah, no Moth true. lands. <laughs> To be so, fair, though, there are four Razor Tide Bridge, which is like absolutely a card you would only play if you really cared about Affinity, right? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, but like the the irony is that this actually has an Affinity card in it that's really important to it, where the like modern Affinity deck, oh yeah, that's never true. had it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like yeah. maybe there is an argument that this is Affinity because you're playing with like Thoughtcast, Metallic Rebuke, and Thought Monitor, which is like way more Affinity than the metalcraft version of the deck, I guess is what the old version was, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really funny. Uh, and I didn't even like kind of notice that <laughs> until just now. Cause yeah, it is, it's getting five, it's getting eight artifact lands and really taking advantage of it. And you just never saw that before. Um, but I think, I think oh yeah, fair. It, this is affinity, but the previous deck was robots. Like wizards really yeah. wanted it to be and never succeeded at branding correctly. <laughs> yeah. I think one interesting thing in this list that we're seeing, um, it is, I just want to make sure, it's the uh, Modern Challenge, second place, 7-1 and one on uh, May 7th. Uh, there's no cards like Emery, and that's like such a powerful card at like grinding out. It's a very cheap threat with all of the artifact lands and everything. Um, I just find that to be interesting, that there isn't room for that kind of card in this deck. Like the, uh, being able to recast your thought monitors 
And, especially, uh, especially because you're playing with the Urza socket package, being able to just like rebuy Aether Spell Bomb and like lock. Yeah. There are some decks just that will get locked out if you have Aether Spell Bomb and Emery in play. Mm-hmm. Especially like uh, the uh, Ragavan decks. Yeah. Uh, like if you can bounce the Murktide like two or three times, it's like game over. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So just not. And I think I mean, they kind of playing come back from that, but they're kind of playing Teferi in that spot. But I, I don't disagree with you. I think there's like definitely room for at least one Emery, if not two. And just figuring out what card is cuttable for that. But yeah, um, number nine is Amulet Titan. Um, this is a deck that a lot of people, both before and after the banning, before Modern Horizon, sorry, immediately after Modern Horizons two, thought was going to be the big bad of the format, and then immediately after Luris was banned, everyone's like, nope. Amulet Titan is going to be the big thing. And it's still just kind of hanging out in ninth place. Um, this is the biggest change that really seems to have happened to this deck over the last while is that just like Cultivator Colossus is in the deck. And that card is uh, real good. <laughs> um, but it hasn't got anything on New Campana. It's gotten obviously, the, the, it's gotten Besiege Who Endures, which is like the other big piece for the format. Um, but continues just being, uh, being doing what it's doing. Yeah, the Sage is really powerful. It means it's actually like a, a bit of a warping where Blood Moon is at a significantly lower like power like power against this deck than Mages of the Moon, which means the uh, those four color decks that are on Eldarmy's call are able to actually like main board Mages of the Moon and then just tutor it up in their eighty card deck in game one sometimes, which is just incredibly powerful. And then the Besager just doesn't hit it. And if you look at their sideboard a lot of the time, nothing in their sideboard hits it either. Um, yeah, the, it's I think, interesting. I think like the reason this isn't a being three point seven percent of the metagame is like on its own, just like very good. So it might just have good matchups for some of the top eight. I think it it, it not being hi- higher is is just like this is a deck that if you can punish it, will be punished, and because it can stumble, and if it it doesn't, it's going to get away with the game. But just being faster or more consistent helps. Um, as you said, removal is weird now. Blood Moon is different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of Magus of the Moon, uh, the next deck, number eight. That's the that's the sound effect. Uh, we have Crashing uh, Footfalls. We have uh, one of two Cascade decks in the top ten, right? Yep, I was right. I'm good at counting. And this deck is sick. I've always loved the Crashing Footfalls deck. I think like... It's so interesting to me that the rules change around how Cascade works has made versions of cards that you play in this deck better at the same time. Like the fact that Dead and Gone and Fire Ice are good in this deck now. Now, Fire Ice was reprint or was printed into the format in, in Modern Horizons 2, so it's always been that way. But before Cascade, for those who don't know, Cascade used to cascade into the effect of whatever the smallest cmc of a card is and then you get to choose which side you cast so there was a boom bust deck in original modern where you would cascade in it from Bloodbraid elf and sometimes you would hit you would hit boom which is a two drop but cast bust which is a six drop destroy all lands and due to not those cards but other cards being broken with cascade they eventually changed the rule so now it's the total cmc of the full card um amongst some other rules change in the same world but it allows decks like this now that don't want to cascade into that spell, but want it because it's a good removal spell on turn one and turn two and turn three uh, and get to play that and Dead and Gone, which Dead and Gone was uh, one of our preview cards. So that's also sweet. Plus about I, I also just think Dead and Gone is like secretly, I'm just going to get on my soapbox here for a sec. Dead and Gone is super powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's, if you look at the two best threats in the format right now, I'd argue they're Ragavan and uh, Murktide. 
And that card answers both of them. Um, you might say like, hey, bouncing a Mertitis in an answer. It pretty much is if you do it enough times. Right, right. <laughs> uh, the, getting rid of their graveyard with it in their hand is the answer. So, Yeah, so uh, I think that card is sweet and is like one of the most fun cards to play in the, this uh, Rhinos deck. It was, this was actually the first deck I played in Modern. Uh, I started playing after NH2 came out and uh, I think this deck's really sweet. I think I think part of what's cool about it too is like because previously it was like we're playing with cycle cards to fill our graveyard with with the get living on and we'll talk about that deck in a second. When this one, it's more just like I just want my cards to be good cards that cost more than three, but not always. <laughs> and yeah. they've now between adventure and the elementals and the rules changes around uh, split cards have kind of created a library of cards that all kind of function in this way that make the deck really interesting and like. You just are shardless aging or violent outbursting into eight power on turn three every turn. Yeah. And and in the meantime, playing a decent control deck. I will say one issue this deck does have is you're kind of uh, living to your draws. So like you have a lot of choices in like what removal you use and uh, what when you play your threats. Like do you play the shardless first or the violent outburst first or things like that. There are a lot of choices in that way. But um if you look at the deck list, there's almost never any actual card selection. So, like, there's no expressive iteration or opt or uh, chase the mind sculptor usually that allows you to, like, go through your deck and, like, find the cards you need to, like, win the game. And so, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, it's about just keeping a good hand and playing it out correctly and interacting with your opponent in a way that allows your pressure to kill them in time. And um, that can be very, like, frustrating if you're moving from a deck like. Um, or tied where you just have like amazing threats, some of the best card selection and some of the best interaction in the format. Right, right. This, 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 you could just line up badly because you drew your furies against the wrong deck or you drew your forces against the creature deck and you're just like, yep, exactly. I have no option to get out of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you are like different than living end. This is a deck that isn't putting, the same type of it's not like a combo deck right it's almost a tempo control deck that has instead of a a, a murktide regent you're getting uh crashing footfalls and that lines up to against different people's removal differently but it's not like oh i win this turn um mm-hmm. it's one of the when we did our set review for new capenna i talked about um a card actually i actually really like for the reanimator decks um which is the uh I forgot what it's called, but it's like the the eight drop uh, charm creature, green creature. Oh, uh, Titan of Industry. Yeah, Titan of Industry. I'm sorry, okay. that's exactly the card it's I'm totally. talking about. Uh, so yeah, so Titan of Industry because because of the ability to reanimate that on turn two and have that much power, it plays a lot like Crashing Footfalls does. But instead of having eight power, you have uh, eleven. And one of it is a reach trampling seven, seven. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. also you have all the other options of like a defense token or getting like it stabilizes so well um, and blocks a lot of things that are in the way. But that would be that, that kind of plays like what what crashing footfalls is doing in a different way. But is a similar like, oh, I have to deal with a five, five and a seven, seven in play. I have to deal with two, four, fours. What are the hoops I have to do to get that board state to happen? This is one card that you just have to draw versus that, which is a reanimator package next deck so this is this is one thing that i think is really interesting because i don't we haven't talked about this yet but with the banning of luros there was a big conversation about 
what is the future of companions? Are they still problematic? Is Loris just like the first to fall off? And as soon as you get rid of him, does Grixis Death Show just to play Obosh? Or is Gigantha just going to be in every deck because it's not that hard to modify your deck to have a Gigantha there for free? Or the one that everyone kind of like knew was the next best one? Is Yorion going to be uh, just too good in the format and need to go next? Like, is the companion mechanic actually problematic? Or or is it just Luris was problematic and now with the new fix, the other ones are fine, though interesting, but good. Um, and so this is our first Urion deck. Now, with that being said, in the top 10, two, I believe, are currently there are yeah. two different um companion decks, and both of them are Urion. In the seven seven day thing, though, you have Death Shadow that is playing Gigantha. That's the other one. And then is Azorius Control still playing um um, no, I'm it, not sure. I think it depends. Some, sometimes they play Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Uh, All so, the local players play Snapcaster Mage, so I might be a little biased. The one on the one on here is playing that. But yeah. So so. But let's 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 talk the Blink deck. So I will say that in my head, whenever I see a Urion deck, they all kind of look the same. Like they have four color Blink here, and they have Elementals. And the difference to me between these two decks is uh, not a lot. <laughs> it's it's Risen Reef. It yeah. It's it's that card. That is the really powerful engine that the uh, Elementals deck takes advantage of um, and, and play, allows it to... Instead of playing like one Fury and four Solitude, it's playing five, four, 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 and, 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 and then like going all in on it versus this one that definitely is much more of a control deck. Now, one thing that we have seen, but is it on this list, is the new uh, Countercat Yorion Vivian decks that are kind of the fourth version of this because there's a there's a five color Omnath too. So there's just like eight different ways to play to play these decks. Now um, we have those haven't had enough time really to kind of shuffle out. It's like are they actually they have legs versus these other options? But what are your thoughts on the Blink decks versus the Elemental decks versus the other ones? Um, so my actual thoughts are that the decks are very good. Um, I do think they go to time really often in paper. Uh, I was at Pittsburgh and there were a lot of, of games I noticed going to time with these Yorian decks, uh, especially in the top eight. I think top eight on Friday was like half Yorian decks, I think, or there are at least a couple. Other, otherwise, I, I think they're both pretty, pretty powerful decks. Uh, obviously one of them is playing like you know, Ragavan's Ren Sixes and Comnas, uh, and that's kind of like it's just a good pile of soup. While the other is playing more like uh, Risen Reef and your Elementals, and has an incredibly powerful like grind plan, and you're able to, to cantrip off of your uh, off your Risen Reefs, but also like your your pitch Elementals, so you can like solid suit your opponent's spell, and it stays like an equal trade when you do that. Um, I honestly can't say like. Uh, obviously, I play a lot on paper at uh, Star City Games' like local store, mm-hmm. and uh, there are just not a lot of people who own these cards on paper. Like I'm one of the few people who has the cards to play these decks, and I sure. play other decks instead. But um, there's a reason that they kind of have been classically called money pile, right? Where it's like, yeah, this is how much money do you have because <laughs> they yeah. build this deck. I do know uh, Cord Baumeister has been playing a lot of elementals on stream and in, in paper. Uh, and he's very hot on that version of it. And I do know there are like differences in that matchup. Um, I imagine the elementals deck is way better at closing out games just because of the threat density. 
mm-hmm. and how it's able to just like constantly keep its engines running, constantly getting new cards in hand. The Oath of Nissa's, the uh, Risen Reefs are able to like really provide a lot of card selection. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, if I was to play one today, I think uh, I would play Elementals just because I think it's probably able to close out games easier. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Elementals a little bit more in a second because the next deck is Hammer Time. This was the deck when Loris was banned. Like, this was the argument why Loris shouldn't have been banned, to, in my opinion, to be honest, was that like Loris was at the head of six different decks. And if you got rid of it, what is the metagame look like? Do these other decks lose their resilience? Hammer Time did not. And if you bring up the seven day report, some of the other Loris decks that we're seeing play are still seeing play. So it ends up that it was for the most part, other than in maybe Zoomer Jund, not as key of a piece to the deck's functioning and just was like a very samey version now this has moved to blue but that has more to do with the fact that they printed reality chip and it's literally the only blue card it's playing but it is good enough to be able to take advantage of that card dry engine they play to fairy too a lot of the time which is obviously very powerful with what the, the general game plan and and then yeah and then also if you go into the sideboard there's uh, a few blue cards that definitely show up from from lavinia to spell pierce and meddling mage so you're right um and but it's it's doing the same thing. It's getting a giant hammer onto uh, a memnite. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, do you have a way to stop that? No. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like playing against the deck. Like you're just kind of like, do you have a way to not die to this? Do you have a way to piece apart the cards that are synergizing or stop me from being able to tutor up better threats? Um, yeah. It, well, it's and, a very and- stressful deck to play against as a control player personally. To, to me, to me, it's the most similar to what Infect was. Like, if you were like a big fan of Infect back in the day, and you were a, you can play Infect. I think that there is actually a reason to play that deck, and that deck I don't think is gone. But if you're looking for a top tier, top ten deck in the format that's been that way for two years now, this is the deck that's playing that same way. Where you're like, I'm playing small threats that I'm then going to make big, and if you tap out or you let you let you don't tap out and try and remove stuff on my turn and on my terms, I'll be able to interact with it in a way that prevents you from winning. So you have to kind of tap out against me. And then if I get lucky and then can draw past you tapping out to try and kill my threats, I'm just going to let you stumble. Then I I've won. Um, and how big can I make one thing do damage to you till you die with a little bit of resilience and the fact that you can play stuff like the reality chip or like sort of fire and ice to draw cards. And Urza saga just being a uninteractable, like, not interactable, but it, it's just a land that makes creatures like that's inherently uh, a difficult thing for a lot of decks to interact with. Yeah. Um, yeah obviously, yeah. things like wear and tear improve that, like uh, just because you can always just wear the land, but uh, that card is very powerful and does a lot for the deck. Where do you fall on the like, is Urza Saga good for modern train? I don't know. I, I think the fact that it's so easy to interact with with so many different effects, like, uh, wear and tear and force of vigor especially uh, i'm not sure it's good for modern but i definitely wouldn't say it's a problem in modern mm-hmm, does that mm-hmm. make sense uh, like i think ragman is good for modern genuinely like i think having a threat like that kind of smooths out the format requires people to be interactive in a way that's like healthy uh, unlike splinter twin where like having to be able to interact with your opponent like on your end step or on their turn every single turn for the entire game is like not healthy but like having to kill a threat on turn one and maybe hold up interaction in case they have a dash dragon later in the game. I think that's like really good for modern. Urza Saga, it's like less clear to me. 
I think I think what it does is is interesting. I think yeah, as as far as the Horizon cards go, the cards that I think I have the most problem with at this point is the elementals. And even then, I like that they've brought a lot of good removal to the format. They've slowed the format down, right? There was a problem leading into 2021 of modern becoming like even more siloed into ships passing in the night combo decks that are just or or just big good stealth piles and not having a way to slow either of those down and the elementals have created a really interesting game between value and removal and power level really my biggest complaint honestly with modern horizons more than anything has just been the cost like the fact that this is injected about a thousand dollars into every deck in the format or five hundred dollars into every deck in the format is more of an issue now that we're getting back to paper magic than any of the gameplay experience. Cause I think all these decks are really cool. I think the fact that affinity real affinity, uh, amulet and Titan hammer time playing like what old affinity used to play. Cause I guess that's the other thing going back to hammer time or on hammer time still uh, the, the one thing with hammer time is it, it is also maybe in fact is an example, but it also plays a lot like old affinity did right. Where it's like equipment yeah. based getting an ornithopter or a mem night with my it loses like, to the, powerful anti-affinity hate that like yeah. you're already kind of in pressure to play i think that's a good thing um keeps like the sideboards more reasonable like mm-hmm. you don't want to have to play one force of vigor one blood moon one you know what i mean like because the format's so wide it just is impossible to like actually sideboard i think it's kind of cool that like if you look at the top 10 we're talking about here a lot of the decks are kind of similar in the way you attack them like affinity oh, yeah. and hammer time uh we're going to talk about uh, living in soon. Living in rhinos, like chalices, good against those. I think that's uh, a good thing. Yeah, I, th- I think at the end of this, I want to like, uh, well, because I, I don't want to do it now because it's spoilers. <laughs> but if you were to take the top 15, uh, which we'll read off at the end and compare it to like decks of 2017 or 2016 or 2015, the format is not that different. The play styles of what's good and modern has not changed that drastically with maybe the elementals blink uh, uh, Yorion piles being the one big new addition to what these decks are doing. Everything else had like-minded strategies going on. I think unfortunately too, like the Yorian deck would probably look more like an, a typical modern deck if it was a 60 card deck, because there would be pressure on like what slots to include. Yeah. There just wouldn't be enough room for everything the deck does. But because it's incentivized to play 80 cards so strongly by the existence of Yorian, it's able to kind of like include a lot of cards that like I don't think you'd really want to be devoting that much space to this type of card typically. Well, like, well, like if Elementals wasn't playing Yurion, for instance, I think it looks a lot tighter and more of a actual tribal deck versus now I where agree. it's a tribal, it's half a tribal deck and half a five color control deck. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think like when you see people play like Ragavans and Elementals, which I've seen like some people experimenting with, mm-hmm. uh, that is kind of how it's like a sign. I think of the Yorian influence yeah. Just like having those slots to those kinds of cards that are not, which, uh, which I do think, like, I think it's an argument for why Yorian is maybe a problem. Is you now have three different decks in the top fifteen because uh, the next deck is Elementals, which we're, we've been talking about anyways. But uh, so Elementals, and and this this kind of really brings it like home to me, where I do think Yorian is a problem for the reasons that you just said. Like all three of these decks could be really interesting, different decks. Now I do think the difference between Elementals and Blinks 
has very similar incentives, right? You have elementals wants you to play all the elementals and blink wants you to play ephemerate with all the elementals. And it's like ephemerate versus uh risen reef. And which one of those is the better incentive? I actually blink doesn't even usually play ephemerate nowadays in my experience. Maybe it does. I just don't see it, but a lot, even this list right here doesn't play it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It does not. It's, the it really is, in my opinion, is it's a four-color control deck with massive value engines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, it's cool. I, I think it's probably a problem, but not yeah. to the degree I'm willing to complain about it on Twitter. Like, I think, I think like Gigantha is fine, right? The fact that like some decks are going to play it is fine. I don't think you need to get rid of the companion mechanic anymore, but I do think Yorion and like it exasperating this costing problem, right? Where it's like, oh, three of the decks are two thousand dollars. If you look at the rest of modern, it's 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 actually fairly affordable. Uh, well, not affordable; it's a thousand dollars, but it's not yeah. two thousand dollars. But then you look at the Yorian decks, and it is literally two thousand dollars. Like that's I just built Legacy. My Legacy deck was two thousand dollars. Right, it was right, not a bunch right. of Legacy deck. I built eight cast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my yeah, modern yeah. is as much as my Legacy deck. So. Like, I, yeah, I think I think well, especially because like in Legacy, then this is how I got into Legacy. Like you can get away with just more fetches and less duels, and like and be fine. And that, There's that's also just one. very powerful monocolor decks that don't play duels right. or any reserveless cards. So that's all. That's the other thing. Death and taxes is like a thousand dollars. Which I mean, no, no reserveless cards. On that note, one of the reasons I really like that affinity is so doing so well is it's a to- it's a five hundred dollar deck. It's like a all yeah. in, not super expensive. Uh, option for the format which is cool but yeah i mean we talked a lot about elementals i think i think like to me going through this the fact that still yorion is just the in the incentives of yorion are bad for the format what yorion is doing is making the format feel samey i don't know if i'm like at like this card needs to be banned yet but like the fact that it's still like this doesn't really make me feel good vibes for yorion really there's an argument though that once you ban Urion, do you just ban Companion? <laughs> like, it, well, it, I hope they don't ban Companion because my favorite deck of modern is Lutri. <laughs> so sure, I sure, sure. Really yeah, hate it that. <laughs> I don't want to die for Urian since that, that's the only thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think Urian and and there there are other there are other mechanics historically that like double up on the ban list, right? There's all five affinity artifact lands are banned for a reason. So I think I think you could argue that just like ban Urian, ban Luris. I don't think any other ones are really necessary. Like no. Kahira is fine, Gigantha is fine, and Lutri is fine. I like one day. Well, Lutri is dope. Uh, sorry, more than fine. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> um, the the like one problem of like I can see Zerda like one day needing to be banned because they accidentally print the wrong card. But like at the moment, that's we're not like unavoidable, right? Yeah, yeah, that's just. Like, it's currently unplayable, and then one day they might print the wrong card that works with the other wrong cards, and now it's a problem. But I don't think we're anywhere close to that, and let that happen. So, and then and then we get to like like Amari and Obash and and uh, uh, Karuga and uh, the blue black one that I'm not remembering. Like none of those I am ever worried about. <laughs> I do think the companion should be detrimental, like in a measurable way, sure. and. I'm not sure Yorian is actually that detrimental, right? At this right. point, it, it is um, on the like, like on a uh, Frank Karsten back of a napkin math efficiency perspective 
but modern is such a massive format that you get away I'm not with sure it now. And it's no longer even. Really, I'm not even sure that's really true when you have like demonic tutor instant speed for creatures. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you just replace the four cards with that. You have Ren Six, like so it smooths out your mana. Uh, you have Omnath, which is a legendary creature. So like you want to draw it every game, but you maybe don't want to draw three copies of it. Like, right, right. And if you don't draw it, you have four extra copies in the form of Eldamis Call. Like, it just seems like. A... And then you have instant speed removal on a creature, so you can just Eldamis Call for Solitude, and then, you know it just seems very like a... the eighty card thing is like. Again, I think back of the napkin is really a good way to put it. Like that's about as relevant as it feels when yeah. you're playing against it. It's, it's almost like, like a like a tried and true back in the day. This is the in reality you shouldn't play more than sixty cards ever because it makes your deck worse. But like in modern times, I don't. If you have an if you have an incentive to not do that, any incentive, then you sh- don't need to play sixty cards. Like I think the only downside is that it pushes you to be creature based. Uh, sideboarding just because of the way the that sideboarding are. is yeah you're, like your tutors are creature based and you uh, sideboarding is kind of like less influential like mm-hmm. when you're changing mm-hmm. seven cards or eight cards which is like half your sideboard it's not as influential as it might have been before but again when you have four tutors in your deck I'm just not sure that really matters and 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 the other side of that is this is a like good stuff value deck where like sideboarding in general was less important than necessarily mm-hmm. like the linear style decks where it's like oh I lose if you have the hate card I need or yeah. I can't beat you if I don't have the right removal spell elementals is like well I have endurance and I have solitude what strategy are you doing that in fury what's what of the three main strategies of a bunch of small things that i need to be able to kill the one big thing i need to be able to kill or your graveyard do i need to worry about yeah i think it's most of it really <laughs> like it covers a lot um and like sure there might be something weird but like yeah i think i think that yeah i think i think the incentives for Urion are kind of and that's kind of the same problem with with luris right like Loris's incentive the, the things that you needed to do to make Loris in your deck was nothing in modern playing with only two drop permanence not even spells permanence is like a, what you were supposed to do yeah <laughs> and unless you're playing with specific cards like Yagamot that is a combo piece and with Yurion it's like I, your deck the deck, like I, I honestly think that if Yurion was a Kihira if it was just like a 2-2 and had the same restriction you probably still just play with 20 more cards in your deck it would be closer We're going. We're going um, to a classic. The other. The other under. Well, not under five hundred. The other five hundred and fifteen dollar deck. <laughs> uh, yeah. which is affinities five hundred and ten. Uh, so if you want to be spendy? Uh, burn. Uh, burn has continued consistently to be on this list. It lost Luris and lost almost zero steam from doing so, and is playing actually no cards different, which isn't. Which is kind of was the point with Luris and why it was a problem. Um, this deck has almost not changed, other than I guess it's no longer green. We're no longer Naya. It's now just straight up red white. Uh, Sanctifier and Vec is the only card I regularly see that's new. In the main list here, it's a one of in the sideboard. Yeah. And I will say, like, this deck is still really good. Like, <laughs> I played against it three times this week. Um, I played on Sunday and on Tuesday this week. And, uh, 
I did not win once. I just, they just killed me. Like, they just had the Boros charms. My opponent one game went turn one guide, turn two guide, guide, turn three guide, Eidolon, and I just died. Like, couldn't beat that. And, and like, they punish you if you stumble. They have, for Dragon Rage, Chandler, Ragavan, anything with X3 toughness creatures that are a problem decks, they have an entire deck of removal spells to stop you mm-hmm. from getting advantage on it. Uh, and if you're going to try playing something big, they're just like, cool, I'm going to go around you and then burn you for eight or nine days. Well, just Searing Blaze it and be yeah. happy to convert that to a burn spell. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's a crazy thing. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's really cool. At first, I love that burn has just like continued to be like one of the important decks in the format. I think that's like the sign of a healthy format is burn is a good deck in it. Um, you don't want it to be the best deck in the format necessarily, but that has more to do with the reverse side of that parallel level spectrum, right? Like when standard had a year where mono red because of just the depowered down of Ixalan into Amonkhet was the best deck. That was bad. But as long as it's a deck in the format and is viable, I think that's always very healthy. It's pretty hard for that deck to be the best deck in the format when the card pool is as wide as mine right. is. It's you, just, you can always just beat burn if you need to. It's just you're playing You can just play a, a couple uh, when helixes and set up any bolts. <laughs> And that, that bombs right. goes away. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then now we get to the next Cascade deck. And this is uh, one I think you were really excited to talk about at the beginning before we started. And that is uh, Four Color Living End. And, you know, uh, the first deck to see Grief, which I think is really funny how hyped people were for Grief and uh, uh, where it's fallen. But um, the biggest the biggest new card over the last few months for this deck has definitely been Colossal Sky Turtle. And along with Besiju, which is just... Bloodwater is actually kind of a big deal. Yeah, like, yeah, it, I agree with that. It's pretty useful in a lot of these later games where you've like drawn a lot of lands because you've been cycling and they have like a chalice or something, and you just like and turn chalice it, ch- bounce the chalice, you know, by an outburst or something. One card that I've been like turn. really impressed with with like anything that can bring it back from the graveyard is Waker of Waves. Um, I've like, gotten a chance to good. play this in a few different decks and both in modern with like reanimate strategies or even in commander, and I'm like oh, this, if you have any graveyard synergy, this is a lot of cards, a lot of words that I like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> put yeah, it in my graveyard, it draws cards, it puts a threat in my graveyard, and if I get it back, it stabilizes my board if I if my opponents yeah. are and, trying to wide. And living it, especially, if you really think about it, a lot of times you're like doing a wrath and bringing back whatever you got rid of earlier in the game, mm-hmm. or that they just milled or something. And like, especially in the mirror match, whoever has the most waker waves, that's a big deal. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, Wicker Maze is sick. It's also like if you we were talking earlier about the card advantage and card selection in uh, Rhinos and how there's was flat out none. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is card selection. Like uh, I've seen some lists play four. This list really kind of has three. That's three cards in your deck that in the late game allow you to just like pitch a bad card, put a land in the graveyard, put a cycler in your hand, or uh, put the put a living end in the graveyard and a and a cascade spell in your hand. So. You know, it, it literally is like That's a big deal. it's it's two mana draw three a lot of the time because you mm-hmm. put the, you put it in the graveyard. You put another thing in your graveyard in a deck that wants to put things in your graveyard uh, and then you draw a card. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's I, actually I, also if you think about it, the cyclers are usually pay one mana, put one thing in your graveyard, put a card in your hand. Yeah. And so this card is is basically on the same rate because you are still putting a, a threat. Yeah, often into your graveyard. You're put, you're 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 putting two two you double cycle 
and you get card selection out of it and and it it's really cool but i mean this is kind of what i was talking about like these are this is a deck that's been around forever i think it's really cool i think obviously colossus scott turtle is also really cool in the fact that it gives you all those different like different optionality but um it lets you buy back a cascade spell yeah and it lets you bounce a, a stacks piece like a graveyard hate card uh it's not a uh it's not a spell which is like sometimes relevant uh under like a, ch- a chalice or a not a chalice but uh yeah still cards you know yeah no i, th- I think otawara o- o- is on the same deal right like between otawara and the turtle you now have so much better resilience and i think that's why this has become the better cascade deck is is before six months ago graveyard hate was not your friend and you didn't have a way to fight graveyard hate in a convenient way so the crashing footballs deck was just better because it didn't care about its graveyard it, you you could ignore it and you're just were a better value deck now you're doing a more powerful thing than what the crashing footballs deck is doing off of its cascade spells by a wide margin and the one thing that you were bad at dealing with being graveyard hate you no longer are worrying about you you have you worry about it because it's still there but you have answers to it in your main deck that are easy to access and yeah, you, you can also, cycle towards yeah you also have like you have three in reality like get rid of an enchantment card or get rid of an artifact card and they're on lands which is just kind of insane yeah like uh, it's very very powerful like how do you hate this deck out now that it has three botanical not three one besiju two otoara two colossal sky turtle at least and for force negation, and then the rest half of the other cards are cantrips that draw to those. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, my roommate, I we were discussing what I should play at some event. I think it was a one k locally, and uh, I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about playing Living End." He's like, "Oh, you shouldn't play Living End." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "You're just not good enough at playing Living End." I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's saying like, when you play against good Living End players, it feels like no matter what you have, they always have an answer to it. Like They always know like what hands to keep, how to sequence, so that they can play around the graveyard hate. And when you play against a good Living End player, it really does feel like they have it all. Like They just always have it all. Because if they're picky enough with their hands, if they get a little lucky and they sequence correctly, they're basically unstoppable. It's uh, very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then going to the cyborg games, they can even you know up, go farther than that. So it's it's... Mm-hmm. It's cool how powerful this deck has become and where it's ended up on the on the spectrum. Number two. Uh, and this was this was my pick for for probably being the second best deck in the format, if maybe not the best deck in the format after the Luris band, because it was one of the two decks that really didn't had a big incentive to not be playing that card and was still doing really big numbers. And leading up to that moment was one of the main top eighting decks like every it was kind of the like people would not think it was good or it wouldn't be on people's radars, but it's top eight at every tournament that's been met that mattered in like the last year. <laughs> and it's like, why is no one? And that's, and that's Yagamoth, uh, number, number two. And, uh, you know, you always got to have your birthing pod combo deck and <laughs> it's now the Yagamoth one. It was Heliod combo before that it was devoted Druid combo before that, uh, and continues to do really powerful things. This is another deck that I think like, has benefited from the Lura span in some ways in the sense that just like it's able to be a better value deck than the other ones out there. Uh, and then has operates under the modern consideration of I'm going to be a beat down value deck and you have to answer that. But while you have to answer that, you also have to be aware that at any moment I just win the game. Yeah, I this is so like I'm not great at magic. Uh, I really shouldn't be talking about modern. <laughs> but God, I have I am so bad at playing against this deck. <laughs> I never know like 
which which part of the deck to uh, respect at any given moment. I played against it so much in Pittsburgh, and as the weekend went on, I felt myself get much better at like handling that uh, as I played against it over and over and over again because it was very popular that weekend. But uh, this is a really sweet deck. It's re- at least for me, I have such a hard time with it. It's it's just so powerful, oh, like you and know, it's it's, so it's it just dodges and weaves, you know. It, it's threat or removal resistant. Yagamoth is better than even what the old Kitchen Fink Maliro combo used to do because even if you have already undyed your creature, you can, as long as you have another creature that you don't care about, you can bring them back down to a t- power and toughness that's that's manageable to start going infinite with them. The threats get bigger. You have multiple be- like tutors and you're really tutoring for one, like two things, right? That was like one of the issues too with with birthing pot or one of the reasons birthing pot would be better than eldritch evolution or previous creature combo decks eldritch evolution wasn't a perfect card for was because it was either decks that didn't want their creatures to die and so sacrificing something to go tutor for your combo piece wasn't going to work or you needed multiple combo pieces to get to the state you needed to win in this you just need two combo pieces and one of them sacrifices to find the other um so i definitely see why it's hard to like prioritize what what are you supposed to do against this deck when at any moment they're either going to ignore the fact that you're trying to kill them, stop them from killing you with their creatures and just win with a combo, or they're going to punish you while you wait for their combo piece to come out and then just like beat you down. There's some really scary sequences where you like, let's say they go turn one threat, turn two threat. They're on the play and you're sitting there like you kill the the first threat, second threat. You're like, do I kill this or play this rest in peace? And you're like, I'm going to play the rest in peace so I can kill the threat later on a, on like on a rate that's decent. And then they just slam a wrist down and you're looking at like the force negation in your hand. And you're like, this does nothing. Like, right, you know, right. like, <laughs> I thought I could kind of extend a little bit here to like start getting an actual game plan out, but then you just die to the grist. Like, so there's a lot of angles where like, there are key turns against this deck that like, where maybe the turn they play Yawgmoth or the turn they play Grist, it's really like the third and fourth turn for this deck. I find where you just like, die and then you find out like five turns later that you died to that like threat they played on that turn right and right. It's, it's it's very hard to deal with like you know if they play wall of roots they power out a bunch of stuff and then later they play yogmoth that resolves and they eat up all that stuff even if they don't like end up with threats in hand they just now have seven cards to your like what is probably four or five cards and like that's just a very hard thing to come back from mm-hmm. so it's a really sweet deck. I've also heard it's just pretty challenging to play correctly. Uh, we have a local who plays it, and uh, he seems to do pretty well for himself. He top eights a lot of the one case we have. That was what was true of, of Birthing Pot. And it's honestly one of the things I kind of knew going into that last season where before before Loris was like, one of the reasons this deck isn't doing better is because it's hard. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like these types of decks where you have this many optionality and knowing what strategy you need to be leaning on against each opponent aren't easy and being able to know what cards are the best cards to be playing in these decks knowing oh like i should be playing four grists or i only need one wood girl off's messenger versus four or i need one endurance versus three or you know it, it, it is building a little bit of a puzzle that takes time um and then and then that brings us to our number one spot uh i think no one's surprised that uh this is the number one deck in the format right now uh it you know is playing three dragon rage channeler four ragavans uh, for Bark Tide Regen is the first deck that we've really talked about that has had a significant increase in power level due to uh, Nuka Penna in the form of Ledger Shredder, which we're going to talk about. And that is number one. 
uh, Merc Tide Regent, uh, Blue Red, Tempo, X, whatever. Uh, you were playing Splinter Twins. This is what you're doing now, dot deck. Yeah, um, that's true. A lot of, I got a lot of local friends who play Merc Tide who were big Splinter Twin Foy fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I think I think this is like going out of the band. It's like okay, this is probably the best deck in the format. It didn't lose anything from the earlier span and was put in a position where it was already the third best deck in the format. And the only reason it was number it wasn't number one is because Grixis Death Shadow was just the version of this deck that played Luris. Um, Murktide has proven once again that Delve is a very powerful mechanic. Who knew? I, I still am surprised. <laughs> uh, should never should never doubt it. And then, uh, you know, we've talked about Raghavan already, but Raghavan, Raghavan continues to be very powerful um, and one of the best creatures ever printed. Um, I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of people underlooked the fact that expressive iteration was just going to be this important to magic when that was printed. It definitely I think was like, oh, this is just like a random telling time variant. And now it's like, oh, no, this is the card that is giving so many blue red decks in every format, the card draw engine they need to survive. And just, you know, Mr's Bobble's there. <laughs> I mean, let's look at like, we were talking about rhinos, right? I mm-hmm. think these are like pretty, I, I think these are reasonable decks to compare. They're both blue red at their core. And they're both trying to like tempo people out while like playing these cards that create some type of advantage. So like, the Cascade spells make two bodies. That's a that's relevant. If your opponent has to kill both of them individually, like you're coming out really positive on that exchange, which is often what happens. But the thing we talked about with Rhinos was like, it, there's no card selection. And I brought that up with Living In too. But if you look at this deck, your Mistress Bobbles offer card selection in the form of like using Fetch Lance to manipulate the top of your deck or your Ledger Shredders. You have your Ledger Shredders, you have your Dryerish Channelers. Uh, your Ragavans also provide card advantage in the form of like just stealing your opponent's cards. Uh, your Considers, your Express Iterations, and your Archmage Charms are all just constantly letting you churn through your deck as quickly as possible. So this deck's playing the best threats, and those threats, not so coincidentally, happen to be like the best card selection spells like in the format. <laughs> so it's to me that that's like the actual... Uh, this isn't like a secret, but that is the juice here, right? That's like the actual nutty thing that's happening here is like insanely well placed out threats that are insane on their rate, backed up with card advantage, and also these threats just happen to produce card advantage on their own too. There, there are there are twenty four card advantage cards in this deck, and of them, half are actually just threats that are in in card advantage uh, trench coats, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? Like Dragon Rage Channeler. Ragavan, uh, Archmage Charm isn't a threat, but it's a removal spell, and Ledger Shredder is a threat. Like all of those are just like I'm accidentally advantage, and then you have some of the best cantrip cards in the format on top of that. So it it, it is able to just like always draw to the threats it needs, power out its graveyard to get Merktide Tread, uh, Merktide Regents and Ledger Shredders out big in a way that's important, and all of its threats in different ways are are hard to deal with. Dragon Rage Channeler, Merktide Regent, and Ledger Shredder are all in the air and big eventually in some fashion. And then Ragavan is on the ground early, but then late game, if you get into a top deck war can be, you know, uh, uh, dashed out into play very quickly. And it's a legendary. So sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm fine. If the first one died, here's the second one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, your know, Ledger Shredder is just like willing to throw that extra one away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Garbage. So, uh, 
Did you did you when you read Ledger Shredder think that it was going to be this this powerful and modern or in other formats or? It was, so it's tough because like as part of my job, I actually have to like churn through spoilers very quickly mm-hmm. and like. But I will say the Ledger Shredder was one of the first cards spoiled, and when I read it, I was like, "Ooh, this looks like a CDH card to me." Mm-hmm. Which, if you think about it, that's like a vintage power level format. Yeah. So I think that does <laughs> display like a recognition of this is a powerful card, but I didn't have enough time to really like sit down and think about it modern. Um, but I the think- moment I saw someone say like, Hey, what do you think of letter shredder modern? I was like, Oh wait, this is like, once my focus got turned to it a second time, I, I kind of thought about Mitra's bobble and uh, I didn't play a lot of Lutri and Lutri is very heavily a counterspell deck. And so I get a lot of counterspell fights with other decks and just having like that body as a threat plus the card selection became immediately impressive to me because that's the kind of card that deck wants so right. and in many ways it's a uh, uh turn two two three flyer that uh ev- will that drew you a card and will next turn be a three four and the next turn be a four mm-hmm. five i was playing this burn recently and i had some really interesting sequences where i was like playing cards to just dig deeper with the ledger shredder and like they were kind of incentivized to not double spell on my turn on their own turn or my turn t- because they didn't want to dig me into counter spells to like turn off their stuff and so like when your opponents are like having to like tempo themselves kind of <laughs> to like prevent you from like digging for answers that's like a very powerful effect right you know? right 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 it, it it definitely was it had a little bit of the um what's the card boros recorder did this uh as did a uh, walking ballista where it was like card dropped on last day of previews during big dump and everyone was like, oh, that's just like a random rare. Who cares? Three days later. Oh, wait. <laughs> All of the stats on this are above rate in a way that we didn't really think about. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing that happened is the Esper commander kind of stole the show because it also connives at like an absolutely insane rate. Yeah. Yep, so yep. I think like the Twitter discourse probably got a little distracted by that card, even if it wasn't like the modern Twitter discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and can I have played a lot like Explore, but in a way that's better, but it's hard to maybe evaluate because you're like, oh, Explore was fine. It was powerful, but it wasn't format defining outside of standard. Yeah. And this lets you actually cycle through cards in a way that is better. <laughs> I mean, this list we're looking at right now, uh, just to be clear, it is like the first place six and one modern challenge from May 14th. Three Dragon Rage Channeler, two Ledger Shredder. That's insane. Yeah. like, I mean, there have been actual debates on whether or not DRC is better or worse than Ragavan. And uh, I've even seen people cut Ragavans for the Ledger Shredders, go four DRCs, uh, four Ledger Shredder, like one or two Ragavan or no Ragavan. Right, um, right. So there's, there's that's like an insane power level yeah. for a card to be at, especially in standard. So and there's the, like this list went down on lightning bolt and archmage charm for two ledger shredders instead of cutting down the creatures like there's there's different options for I think I think we're in that moment where people are figuring it out. I would not be surprised if ledger shredder might just be a four of. I think so. The thing I heard I heard Spiring Spike talking about this, and one thing he mentioned is some cards uh, get worse once they're like live and and like doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. You really only want one Ragavan if you're hitting someone with Ragavan every turn, just as an example. Yeah. With Ledger Shredder, the second copy is like insane, but also just like the second copy can just get pitched to the first copy if you really don't want to have two Ledger Shredders. Right. 
But also, if you have two letter shredders, you're drawing two, discarding two every time someone casts their second spell. So you're like looking through a massive portion of your library. Like, that's right. an incredibly powerful like thing to have going on. And, and, magic. And, we were, and we were talking about like how many of the other decks are also picking up like how good balance spells are against something like a Merchide Regent, but Ledger Shredder changes the math on that because now my graveyard is just going to get big again. And in, unless you're like rest and piecing me alongside this experience, I'm just not going to care that much. Also, Ledger Shredder as a threat that can get bounced to hand is not that great. So you bounce a like, I don't know, if you bounce a Merchide, right? They need to like delve quite a bit for the Murtide to be like good again. Also, they might just play as like a four four or something, but that's not really what they want to be doing. With Thunder Shredder, sure, you made it a one three again. Maybe now it ties to Bolt or something, but it goes back to hand. So if you have another copy, you can just discard it if you want. But also, like it's happy. They're just happy to pay two mana and play it again. Where with Murtide, they don't always. They can't always do that. If 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 you bounce the Murtide and they delve their whole graveyard, it's just now a seven minute spell in their hand. Right. If you bounce right. the Thunder Shredder. Just a two two mana one three, which then they could just replay, play another spell, connive. Now it's back to being a two four. What did you really accomplish here? Right. Uh, I mean, you prevented a significant amount of damage probably, but you didn't like gum up their hand the way Murktide would have. And and there's even like a thing that we like haven't discussed with with Black Ledger Shredder, which is like a one three flyer is not bad as a two drop in this format. Being able to just like brick wall a Ragavan and just be like. Sorry, <laughs> the card doesn't do anything anymore, uh, and I'm going to be drawing cards because of it. Uh, is like a worthwhile endeavor, and then just add any other so that you start really looking at a card that's worth worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think uh, it's not perfect. Like if you're on the draw, it's yeah. pretty yeah, medium. Yeah, yeah. Turn a turn three ledger shredder is not exactly the best answer to Ragavan, but. Yeah, but then you but, deal with all the other benefits that we've talked about, where it's like, okay, this is still good, but sometimes it's a turn. I'm on the play, and what are you going to do against this? I think like a lot of uh, I don't know about you, but like if you play a uh, Murktide, uh, sometimes you have these hands where you go like turn one threat, turn two threat, turn three, hold up like Archmage's Charm or a Counterspell, and then like turn four, you're like really hoping to go Expressive Iteration into like land plus Murktide. Mm-hmm. You know, or or land. You know, you really want to like build a hold up two mana, or go like uh, art, uh, expressive iteration into a hold up a counter spell, and uh, this card plays pretty well into that sequencing. Right, 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 right. It plays. It plays. It, it is great in the strategy that you're already doing, while also offering new angles of building yeah. the strategy in a way that and, you want. And a lot of time, you will cast expressive iteration on turn two and like put hold up one mana or something. It's not like that's like always what you're doing. Uh, but there, it just it being two mana always is, is actually pretty sweet. Yeah, obviously you prefer prefer it to be one mana, but yeah, can't I agree. everything. So, so that's the top ten. That's currently the top ten card uh, uh, decks that are seeing modern play right now. Post New Capenna, um, there's all other decks that have we've seen kind of start popping up. We have, as I mentioned, the the Vivian decks, the Bert, like kind of, kind of the new birthing pod. But I, I did want to, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, like. The, the rest of the top 15 are um, Jeskai Control, Mono Green Tron, Five Color Omnath, Azorius Control, and Jund. And with that collectively, if you've been playing Modern from the beginning, or if you left Modern six years ago and came back just now, and you're like, oh, wait, Jund is still one of the best decks? Oh, there's like a like a creature combo Yagamoth Birthing Pod deck? Oh, there's two different affinity style decks. There is both a scapeshift like amulet Titan deck or a mono green Tron. There's multiple Jeskai over blue white control. Like the format 
Burn is in the top five. The format hasn't changed that much. It's just the pieces that are making that format that seems to have evolved. Yeah, I, I actually, I think it's a bit overstated sometimes how like modern has changed since Modern Horizons Two. A lot of the pieces have changed, like the uh, counter spells might have changed. You know, no mana leaks or romance anymore. Now you're just playing counter spell or just charm, but it, they're kind of doing the same thing, like. I keep bringing up Lutri because I play Lutri, but like I play Lutri, right? And so I, I play a lot of the cards that don't see play anymore, like Mana League and mm-hmm. uh, and Path to Exile. And those cards are actually like a lot of the time pretty similar. Obviously, right. like you have to play a little quirkily when you play with them because you need to like make sure your opponent doesn't have three mana up or something. But uh, a lot of these cards are very similar. Like on turn two, Counterspell and Mana League are the same card, effectively. Right. Um, and so, like, that's going to... The fact that, like, magic, card, magic is a game and, like, these cards are all kind of just doing the same effect means that, like, these decks are just going to, over time, be pretty similar to each other because, like, you're just making slight optimizations at a certain point. Um, and then they put the Sage and Prismatic Ending and then, you know, you can throw that out the window, but... Yeah, it, it's... it's But even, even like... Like, even the Living End deck, right? Like, Living End existed back in the day. I, I, I agree with you. I think, like, part of it... Part of it is the modern the issue with the modern horizon decks is not like they invented new strategies. It's almost the problem is that they didn't invent new strategies, and when they kind of did, they were so powerful that they had to ban them. It's more that they just added five hundred dollars to the deck you were playing. Now that's five hundred dollars over a three year period, which is maybe fine depending on how you look at it. But it it is a little bit, I think, of where people are like that's the issue with the change that has happened, which like, which sucks. I like, I, I, I sympathize, right? Like there's, there's a version of this where a lot of these decks, if they hadn't had printed the elementals, you would be able to still play your Jun deck from back in the day. But now you're dealing with different, different options and what you need to play. Now, the fact that Tarmogoyf is still a four of, I love, uh, you're never going to hear me complaining about that, but, uh, Tarmogoy, uh, uh, season pyromancer and, and, um, Renin six adding a nice, five hundred dollars to the deck list you're playing is is i can imagine something that it's like a little rough now speaking of grand river deer's charm is seeing play there so shot i want to bring this up actually my friend jay is the person who had the the, the uh, fourth place or fifth place finish at pittsburgh one of the five k's with uh-huh. the charm they are a very big fan of that card <laughs> it is very powerful well like uh, I think I think when everyone was reading it, that was the one I was like, "Oh, that's the one." Because the first two abilities are things that you would spend that amount of money, that amount of mana on to do in modern, theoretically. Regardless, now you wouldn't love it; it wouldn't be the best card. But the fact that you get both options, and then you get Exile a Graveyard, which is just like one of the best incidental words you can add to a card in modern, mm-hmm. um, makes the card just like really powerful. Yeah, I really like it as well. Yeah, I just I also think Jund being able to have this card that acts a lot like expressive iteration yeah. is pretty important. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a problem I feel like the deck has had is that sometimes like where's obviously fixed this problem by just being absolutely broken, <laughs> but the, the deck sometimes runs into points where it's just like you're in top deck mode and run six helps with that with like Takanuma or Soken Zen if they're on that too. But it, it does feel like the deck needed something that just kind of let you go up cards instead of just trading one for one forever. Right. And this card allows you to trade one for one with like a Merc Tide, for example, which is huge. That's a big deal. Uh, but also lets you just like, hey, end step, I'm going to try to draw three. And if you want to counter that, go ahead, because now I'm just going to resolve the three-minute Planeswalker in my hand. Right, right. And and, and I do think that there, 
like you have a lot of cards in here now that are acting like expressive iteration, either in lowering what your opponent is doing, like Kroxa or Season Pyromancer and Riveter's Charm, right? And that's what Jun's supposed to do. Jun is supposed to have a bunch of cards that all say draw two cards or draw a card your opponent kills a creature or my threat, you know, like it's all incidental value that lets your Tarmogoyf be a seven, nine that <laughs> punches your opponent in the face, seven, eight that punches your opponent in the face in the meantime. So I'm not surprised Jun, like Jun will survive <laughs> the, the apocalypse. It's the cock magic. <laughs> it, and if it doesn't survive, Jun players will continue playing it. Regardless. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where like almost every single time you talk about modern with people, they're like, Jun's bad. And I'm like, Except it's in every top eight ever. <laughs> and it, the answer is that like jump players aren't going to play anything else anyways, and they're good at it. And it is proof in the pudding of modern too, where it's like, if you are good at a deck, you are likely to do better than if you are playing the best deck, but not know what you're doing. And, and with the case of Jund, Jund is that exact pile of cards that like, they have no it's always 50 percent of the field it's it, it, it like just has good removal it's playing good threats it's able to answer pretty much anything nothing that it runs into is going to be an actual bad matchup unless you're tron and <laughs> uh which you don't see in top tables anyways and so you're going to be able if you're better than your opponent capitalize on that um, yeah i think my friend jay says something along the lines of like uh there if you think you have a, like a good matchup against uh like jund you're you're probably wrong. Right. It's probably just okay. It's it's like and Jun doesn't really have bad matchups. They're just okay. There's yes, yeah. that's, that's the trade off you're taking. You have no free games, and you just have to be better than them every time. Yeah, yeah. And there are players that just are that, or at least have played the deck enough. Like because Jun has existed forever. If you've been playing Jun since 2014 or earlier, if you were playing <laughs> in standard, you like. Just know what you're doing and your opponent, most decks your opponent is playing don't have that longevity of skill that could be added. And even with Renin 6 and even with all the additions, none of those cards are that different than what they were doing before. You're just playing with a slightly upgraded or slightly different angle of attack than you had before and get to do more creative things. All right. So that that is that is uh, anything else you want to talk about modern before? I think that is it for today's episode, unless you have anything else you want to call out. No, that's it. Um, um, I will say play Lutri. It's so much fun. I, love that that I literally have uh, the entire list printed out for a proxy to play at some point. Oh, so, yeah. That's awesome. Is it uh, my list or is it someone else's? Uh, it's from, it was from before. It was like right after the Luris ban. So I, I don't even know where I sure. got it, but it's, um, there's Lutri right there. Uh, I'll, send you a, I'll send you a list. I've made some changes with Nuka Penna and with uh, Kamigawa. Oh yeah. I'd love, I'd love to look at it. That sounds super good. Yeah. Um, it's Jessica instead of four color. Although your list might be three, might be just two. Oh no, it's just guy. It's just guy because it's playing. Um, or it might be four color. It has Neil Spellbomb, which makes me feel like it's four color. Yeah, I, I like the three color version. Uh, once a, 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 a printed out proxy list is rolled up like this, I don't think it actually works in sleeves anymore. So <laughs> um, I'll be figuring <laughs> that one out later. Uh, but if you want to try out lists like that, uh, we can post. Uh, Braden, if you want to send me the Lucci list, I'll put it in the, the 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 description of this episode so people can get access Sweet. to it because uh, it definitely is. It will be pretty dope if you want to try it. And if you like it, go to uh, Channel Fireball and uh, buy those cards using the MM Cast code that we have. Uh, thank you, Channel Fireball. Also, Alter Sleeves. If you go to altersleeves.com and want to check out cool stuff there, also use the code the MMCast and get uh, cool stuff and help us out there as well. Uh, Braden, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BradenMTG, and you can probably find me at SCG Events. Uh, I work for them, and if I'm not working the event, I'm usually there playing Magic 
against people and having a good time. I just built Legacy, so if, uh, if you play in any Legacy side events at uh, SUG events, you might see me there. And and last thing is, if you want to check it out, uh, I um, make TikTok content all the time. And if you're excited by Baldur's Gate, I am going to be breaking down a bunch of different commanders. I've already talked about three of them, um, including a bear that for two mana, you get a flying trample death strike ward three, pay three life. Just, like and then you have to sacrifice a creature every turn but ignore that just giant bear <laughs> flying bear uh and we'll we'll uh, talk about Baldur's gate probably next week as well thank you everyone thank you our sponsors thank you patrons for making sure this podcast happen and if you want to check the patron out there is a whole beginning episode where we reviewed multiverse of madness which we'll probably do again next week because ben didn't get to speak about it yet and he's just gonna want to complain because he hates it <laughs> for some from ungodly reason uh thank you so much Brady, for joining thank you uh everyone and uh Make sure that like and subscribe button. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.